Bob Iger has returned to the Walt Disney Company, and we'll talk all about it. That's coming up on today's show. Welcome to the show. I'm Philip. On the HAN Show, we bring the haunt industry to you every weekday. We have news, education, and on-location coverage from Halloween experiences around the world. Whether you're a professional or enthusiast, each episode helps you better prepare for Halloween. Outside of this podcast, we have videos, education, and even events. Links to everything we do are in the show notes. On Mondays, we break down large trends from the news and discuss why it matters to you in our weekly Green Tagged series, co-hosted by Scott Swenson and myself. And check back tomorrow for our weekly haunt news roundup. Okay, here's this week's installment of Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. From our studios in Los Angeles and Tampa, this is Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. I'm Philip, and I'm joined by my co-host, Scott Swenson of Scott Swenson Creative Development. And of course, this week, we have to start with like, the big news. We have to talk about Iger and JPEG. Yes, let's, let's, let's address the elephant, or in this case, the giant mouse in the room. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so mm. let's get, get some background here. I mean, I'm sure everyone's aware, but just... You know, just for posterity's sake, <laughs> on November 20th, the Walt Disney Company announced that Robert Iger is returning to lead Disney as chief executive officer, effective immediately. Iger, who spent more than four decades at the company, including 15 years as CEO, has agreed to serve as Disney CEO for the next two years with a mandate from the board to set the strategic direction for renewed growth and to work closely with the board in developing a successor <laughs> to lead the company at the completion of his term. Iger succeeds Bob Chapek, who stepped down from his position. That is from the Impark article. Uh, there's an Impark article that lays out all of the the uh, the facts in the case and kind of you know, the case of the facts and what happened and and the statements from everybody. Um, I'll read a few other little bits. Of course, the, the the main objectives that he has here are to turn around the streaming business, really. I think, and of course, to groom a successor, which they mentioned right in that. But it's it, it's mainly about streaming, I think. Um, I'm going to read also some excerpts from the New York Times coverage. This came, of course, after, well, that that's basically all that, of course, Disney has said on the topic. They haven't really given too much other reasons as why publicly, but I think a lot of people are pointing to this timeline coming right after the kind of just disastrous earnings call on the 8th, right? Because it was just, just a few weeks prior to that, that was that the big call that, you know, we a lot of people had talked about. Uh, basically, during that call, Disney reported a $1.5 billion loss at Disney+, Plus, which is up from $630 million a year earlier. So it's actually higher losses than than previously. And Chapek said that higher Disney+, Plus production, marketing, and technology costs had contributed to the peak losses. They only generated $20.5 billion in revenue in the three months ending in October, which is a 9% increase from a year earlier, but it's still lower than what analysts had expected. They expected 21.3 and it was 20.15. So it's it's a bit lower than they had expected. And basically, so basically what people were expecting, right, was on the call for him to explain that whole thing and and blah, blah. And that's not really what happened. <laughs> kind of tried a little bit of gaslighting um, and tried to... Uh, focus actually oddly enough or what caught my attention was he focused a lot on on how well the halloween party did and i was like yes <laughs> i was like ah i was in my corner i was like yes but um as a result of that call disney shares dropped 12 percent the next morning and many because many people of course were shocked by the happy-go-lucky tone that mr chapek struck while discussing the earnings report on a conference call with analysts 
Mr. Chapek's demeanor struck many as tone deaf, in particular when he started to implausibly talk about how great the response had been to Mickey's Not So Scary Halloween Party, a relatively inconsequential event at Disney World. This is quoting from the article. At least one advisor really had warned that Mr. Chapek, really not, not in my opinion, opinion. No, no. Yeah, yeah. Of course, it's not inconsequential. Um, had warned Mr. Chapek at a time that his prepared remarks were inappropriately sunny. So, so basically, if you look at the timeline, that happened. The stock dropped twelve percent, um, and then you know a few weeks later, of course, we get this. Um, I wouldn't really call it. He stepped down, as far as I could tell. He basically was fired. Um, he'll be, you know, his, his contract will be paid out. So he will be walking away with whatever, 20 million or 40 million or something ridiculous amount for his, his payout contract that was really just renewed, <laughs> you know, just renewed in February. So um, it was dropped out. And a few other stats here, just for interesting. Um, I think the reason I'm I'm saying that it it's, he's really here to turn around streaming is because streaming is kind of, you know, the the horse that, that they've been betting on recently. Um, but that's going to be difficult, of course, because Disney is loaded with debt, more than $45 billion, because both of the pandemic and because of the acquisition of Fox recently. Um, and of course, the theme park, the theme parks have recently been the cash cow because streaming is not performing as well as it should have been. So recently the parks have been the cash cow. But as we have talked about a lot, that the theme parks are vulnerable, of course, to a recession, especially with the price hikes going up. You know, this, these pieces are still vulnerable. Uh, it, it's to be determined, right, how, how much that's going to play into it. And then, of course, creatively, recently, they have been not doing well, <laughs> really creatively. Um, you know, Lightyear bombed in theaters. I'm reading here that Strange World is expected to take about $35 million over the Thanksgiving holiday, which it cost 180 and it's only going to bring in $35 million, But that's in high contrast to the 2019 numbers, because in 2019, the company served up seven movies that each collected more than a billion dollars. And now we're here with Lightyear and Strange World. So that's not been good. And of course, the stock price has fallen from 96, fallen to 96 from 197 over the last 20 months. So that also impacts morale at the company, right? Because a lot of the, the benefits are tied to those stock packages. So, so it hasn't been performing very well, but I think maybe, you know, if you look at it timeline-wise, you look at the two recent flops in the movies, and then you look at the earnings call where he kind of ignored uh, the, the bigger problems, I think, facing it, then we arrive here. But Disney kind of gave no official answer for, nobody has really given an official answer for whatnot, and they've kind of been relatively tight-lipped so far. I'd be curious to see if that's going to change later, but but uh, Anyway, I, I'm not sure because because honestly, I'm not sure this is going to impact the parks too much, and I think that's that's what we focus on, of course, on the show is the the theme park aspect of it. I'm not sure it's going to. I know all of our friends. I, I just remember the day the announcement came out. I think almost everyone I knew was celebrating all over. Memes were everywhere. People were everyone was like going bananas about it. And there, you know, there is reason to celebrate, right? Like nobody liked JPEG, like clearly. But I'm not sure that what what our what our people want to see, the changes that we want to see, like we're parks people, right? And the changes that parks people want to see are like getting rid of Disney Plus, getting rid of the reservations, you know, looking at the the, the prices and and all this kind of stuff and making it more like it was. And I'm not sure that we're gonna see that like relatively soon because it's 
I, I do think the bigger problem here is the streaming. And that's kind of what he's coming in, the, the streaming and a successor. Because, you know, Iger, we, we, we love Iger in comparison to JPEG, but Iger was also not perfect. And he clearly did not properly groom a successor. And he had been getting rid of people who were competition for, for, for years. I mean, the reason he didn't have a good successor is because he kept kicking out people that could have been good successors. So this is kind of his fault. I mean, it is his mess. He kind of just stepped in it and then came back to clean it up, hopefully. But I don't really think that we're going to see a lot of these part changes immediately, especially with the struggling monetary situation of the company. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. I think there's a, a couple of other factors that have not been covered here. First off, um, I think, I think based on hearsay and rumors, so this is not based on any solid hard data, but Iger was also looking at the possibility of, of looking into the world of politics. And yeah. uh, I think he, he took his, he took his leave to kind of look at that and go, Hmm, um, this is a bit more muddled than I had hoped. Um, and so I, I think American that, politics are a dumpster fire. <laughs> yes. They are a dumpster fire right now. And I think he and I think he I think it was worse than he had anticipated. Um, <clears throat> so, of course, it makes total sense that I'm going to assume that Disney came to him uh, and yes. said, please come fix this. Um, yeah, that, that did come out in the reporting that basically on that Friday before the announcement. So Friday, the, the 20th, we came on the 20th. So that Friday, yeah, the 18th. Um, some of the board members reached out to him and see if he'd be willing to do it. And then literally, so this is what happened. Like, this is how short, <laughs> like, it was like Friday. Some of the board oh, members were like, boot. this was, this was a kick out. Yeah. There's no, there's no yeah. ifs, ands, or buts. We can say all the nice corporate ease we want, but this was a, what do you mean you're laughing at our losses? Get out is, is really the, the dumbed down way, which is usually the only way I can understand things. The dumbed down way of, of, of looking at this. Um, yes, there's a bunch of, of subtleties going on in there and who knows, you know, this, if you look at, if you look at Iger, two years is a really short amount of time, it really is. short amount of time. And even to, even to, you know, to, to either turn the streaming business around or, and, or to groom a successor, two years is a really short amount of time to get that done. Um, so I, I think that this is, I think these are objectives to help placate the stockholders um, as opposed to things that I think can truly be accomplished. I think there are things that need to be accomplished, but as you have said, there are some challenges here that I don't know whether we're taking into consideration. Um, the other thing that I want to kind of back out and look a little bit more macrocosm on is, you know, we're, that we're talking about how the, uh, the film side between um, Lightyear and Strange World are, well, Let's take into consideration films in general are down. Yeah. So yeah. you know uh, that's cables down too, right? Yeah, they still it, get revenue from cable, right? And that's right. these are all pieces of the same puzzle, right? They were they were seeing the cable decrease, which was, you know, movies were their bread and butter. That was their anchor for so right. for so long. The creative parts, the studios, that's driven the whole business. So if that dies, there's there's a problem, and we're seeing all these different fronts come in on that, like the clearly the creative engine after some of the key staff members left in 2019 that's been kind of they've been struggling to find their stride again for making good content but then you know they still relied on cable for a, a long while and that is right. shrinking faster than people projected um and then 
that was the bid, get into streaming. But now, you know, we just we just saw recently, we report on it too, where Netflix hit that ceiling, right? They lost they lost subscribers for the first time ever. Mm -hmm. Their valuation tanked and everyone's freaking out now because streaming, now people see there's a ceiling to streaming. And so now the question is if if your revenue from cables is shrinking and if the money we're putting into streaming isn't gonna be isn't gonna get us back what we thought because there's a ceiling to streaming, then and if we can't create content that's compelling enough, what are we going to do? <laughs> well, and I think that the thing that people haven't taken, to, taken into consideration with streaming is unlike network or even cable, the moment you're in the world of streaming or on demand, um, your content, you know, you can have an entire series, but the moment the, the, the watching or the, 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 the consumer uh, behavior has changed. The moment something hits hot, people yeah. people sit there and binge it. They watch the whole darn thing, and then they want something new. Yeah. So in the yeah. in the in the back in the good old days where you'd you know produce an entire series that would give you returning visitation for you know multiple months. Now you go yeah. in, people uh, people binge it. They're done in two days, and then like, okay, that was great. Now what? Oh, Disney Plus doesn't have anything else new. Disney Plus doesn't have anything else yeah. new that I want to watch. Okay, I'll go somewhere else, or I'll let my Disney Plus, I'll let my Disney Plus lapse. I mean, I've heard, I've heard over and over and over again with Disney streaming services, people will say, "Yeah, I only do it for about like maybe two months out of the year," because yeah. they see what they want well, to see and then they move on. They have been trying to combat that with the the new episode kind of dropping like Andor, and I mean, so the, some of the, they've been doing the one episode a week type of thing. But to your point, the two month thing, that's exactly why, because you know, what are their eight, 10 episodes? They usually come out a week, so that's two months. So you do that. And then, you know, you'll, you'll get the movie drops like Hocus Pocus 2, I think was a big win for them, but also it never made it to theaters, right? So, and then it's just something, you know, if you plan it for two months, you can get all of your Andor in and you can get your Hocus Pocus 2 and then right. you can drop it and leave. Right. That's exactly, I mean, that's exactly, and you know, let's, let's turn, let's go, let's jump into the Wayback Machine. Uh, this is the way cable started. You know, cable was, you yeah. subscribe to us, you subscribe to them, you subscribe to here. Then what happened when they realized that was not a sustainable model? Then they started to put together, and we've reported on this, you know, briefly in the past, but then they started putting together packages where you would get um, this, this, and this for X amount of time. And, you know, and that's what made cable the 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 40,000 pound gorilla um but that changed because all of a sudden the 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 dim sum approach became appealing again so you could just take a little bit of you take your your Disney plus and your ESPN and your you know whatever's um and subscribe to them individually but now people are getting so fed up with the nickel and diming i think is the easiest way to phrase it um yeah. and the fact that they don't see value in something that they're only watching, you know, on a Sunday afternoon where they can get everything. Um, <clears throat> and we also have been trained as a society to know that any sort of digital entertainment is going to be there forever. So we don't have to just, we don't have to just worry about it because we're going to miss it. You know, it's not like, it's not yep. like the old days of, of cable where it was like, we got to yep. circle the TV guy. <laughs> yeah. And set the DVR and get everything ready yeah. to go. Um, this is, you know, certainly what we what the what we all thought we wanted, and now that we've got it, we're using it to our to its fullest advantage. But we're not; it, it's not necessarily 
well, clearly, at least with this particular case, not necessarily a 100% sustainable business model. Um, even with Netflix, you know, having hit their ceiling and starting to go down again. Um, so yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's unique in the fact that um, every. I think what's unique about it is that no one ever thought this is exactly how cable built and and why it went away. Yeah. Nobody ever made that that uh, comparison. I think that's odd. I think. You're right. It, and, and there's a lot of, it's such a thorny thing. So I, I'm so curious to see, you know, what Iger is going to do because Iger was the person who drove the acquisitions, right? Who kind of tried to build. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, to your point, like we've talked about the pendulum swinging back, you know, people trying to get rid of less of their subscriptions because they don't use them. You know, the only, one of the solutions to that, of course, is to become large enough so that it's a must have. Right. Like for the longest time, people were like, I have to have Netflix because everything's on there. Right. Well, but you have Apple. I mean, the, I, I just think the worry with that is that you have Apple, you have Google, you have tech companies that do have streaming, they have inroads into streaming, and they have much big, deeper pockets than the people that rely on business. So, you know, Apple's already outspending Disney in there for Disney Plus. So it, it's not. It's really, again, back to the creative engine. It's really just like getting that creative engine fixed because the money, Apple already is spending more already. And the thing is, Disney has a debt. They're, they're not in the uh, as good of a cast position. I'd just be curious to see what the answer is really going to be because, you know, the acquisition strategy, I don't think is going to work. They have too much debt. They, they couldn't run out and like acquire another, another place. And the other problem is they're, so they have Disney Plus, they also have Hulu and ESPN Plus, which I think we don't talk about those two as much, but you know, Hulu is the broader focus entertainment offerings and then ESPN is the ESPN Plus is live sports. But the ESPN Plus side is also struggling because the contract renewals uh like the the sports contracts, they're coming in asking for more money and they're asking for more money because there's other people that are looking at picking up those contracts like Apple, like tech places. So it might even be an instance where Disney needs to shed ESPN plus or like kind of shed some of that stuff and kind of reverse the acquisition trend, all that. But all, all the streaming stuff aside, I, the other, the other big thing I see, the bigger problem that I see, which I've talked about this before, but I see the bigger problem as the tech talk, basically in essence, it's like we had broadcast, and then streaming came in to leach value out of broadcast. That's still happening. But I think now we have this free content, essentially, that's coming in, that's taking that. You have Twitch, you have TikTok, you have a lot of services that people can, YouTube even, that you can watch for free. And I mm -hmm. think that people are spending as much time, we know now that people are spending as much time watching these free services as they are on these paid subscriptions. So that's, to me, that's the bigger existential threat, which is if someone that was raised on TikTok and on Twitch and on YouTube, it's going to sit there and watch that for two hours instead of watching Hocus Pocus 2 because they don't have to pay anything. Like that's, to me, that's the bigger existential threat to, to the companies is that continue erosion because the value for the consumer just isn't there. And, you know, I mean, I just saw it just at Thanksgiving. I was just at Thanksgiving dinner, you know, and we were like in, uh, in, a, in the top of the Eiffel Tower restaurant eating Thanksgiving dinner, right? And look over and there's a family eating next to us that had paid for like the premier seats so they could see right out uh, into the fountains of Bellagio and everything. 
And, you know, the kids are watching Twitch. <laughs> like they're sitting there with their like with their tablets, like watching Twitch, like while this is happening. And I'm like, yeah, this is what I mean. Like they're not watching a Disney cartoon, right? They're watching other kids play video, like, you know, and and also I think about this too with the content that that we've been making with our partners and with Sharp, even the video that Scott and I did last week of Viapa, you know, those things are all, you know, you can just turn that on 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 your TV now and just watch that. That's it's user generated content that doesn't cost the viewer anything and also doesn't cost the platform anything. You know, like YouTube doesn't have to pay Scott and I, <laughs> it'd be nice, but they don't have to pay Scott and I to produce the content, right? We do an ad share with them essentially, but they don't have to pay us to produce it upfront at all. It's the best business model. <laughs> like aside from Apple's business model, <laughs> which is a monopoly on an app store, <laughs> this is a pretty good one. Well, and it, it kind of goes back to somebody said oh, several years ago now um, that uh, American Idol destroyed the entertainment industry. And I was like, wow, that's a grand statement. But now I think we're seeing more and more of that come into play. Yeah. And that is it, that was that was what really cemented reality television. It was not the first reality television, but it really cemented it because it gave agency to the viewer. It allowed the viewer yeah. to create, it created the illusion, whether it was real or not, I don't know, but it created the illusion that the viewer had agency in who was going to win, who was going to move on, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It trained us to sit there. And I mean, like if you had told me when I was a kid, hey, do you want to go to the TV and switch it on and watch somebody else play video games? I would have been like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard, even as a kid. <laughs> um, but But at the same time, um, you know, of course, that would have been watching somebody play Pong when I was a kid. So that's a whole other story. But uh, but the idea being that it's it is more in the consumer's behavior uh, and and the shift in that than in anything being particularly wrong or or egregious at this point. I think what more and more focus has to be given to is how are people consuming content. Um, what are yeah. they doing? Not if we put it out there, they will come because that works short term. So if your job is to go in, hit them hard, like when Disney Plus, you know, when Disney first started streaming, everybody wanted to, everybody wanted it. Everybody, I mean, it was the yeah. hottest thing you could possibly imagine. Um, but as I said, with the consumption going so quickly, um, there's no, it, there's no reason to sustain. There's no sustainability. Because it's not like, you know, and, and yes, I know you're saying that they're trying to combat that by by doing, we'll release an episode a week. Great, release an episode yeah. a week. I will then, after the 10 weeks, I will then start yeah. my, my streaming. <laughs> You'll cut it then, yeah. And then, I'll, and then I'll go ahead and watch it. And, and, and I'm guilty of it too. I love, I get so caught up in, in binge watching stuff, um, no matter what platform it comes from. And so I'm like, no, I want it all now. I have I have very little uh, patience to wait another. I have to wait another week for an episode. That's ridiculous. I'll just wait, like I said, ten weeks and watch it all. Watch it on my time. Yeah. So uh, again, I don't know what the answer is, but I think I think at least the question is how are people consuming our our content, and how can we how can we create a model that is sustainable. You know, and maybe yeah. the answer, you know, maybe the answer is looking to more uh, taking the, the the phenomenal business model of YouTube and finding ways to get that, you know, onto some of these these failing streaming platforms. Is it something that they figure out how to do user generated content for 
for Disney Plus. And I mean, I know MTV has played around with it and um, some other some other networks, quote unquote, have played around with the idea. But, you know, if that is what people want to see, is there a way to get that into production? And, and again, I don't know. I don't know whether that's I don't know whether that's realistic or not. But, you know, one of the things that we did talk about is making certain that the streaming, that Disney streaming was sort of the the most accessible to the Disney product. Yeah. yeah. And what we're learning now is it it's the most accessible, but it's also the least sustainable. Because yeah. um, people have been coming, people have been going to Disneyland for generations. And they are still yeah. going to Disneyland. They are taking yeah. their grandkids and their, you know, and and great great grandkids and all that, so they just keep they just keep coming back generally generationally. It is sustainable because it's not something that you can do every weekend when you kick your shoes off and sit on the couch and go. I'm going to stream my visit to Disneyland. Um, yeah. They keep coming to the Disney resorts. It's that yeah. it's that it's that live mentality. And maybe the answer is instead of using the films as the uh, as the creative engine, start looking into the live experiences, start looking at the parks yeah. as the creative engine. And they, they've dappled, dabbled in that a little bit with, with some of the films that came out about attractions, you know, obviously Pirates of the Caribbean and, yeah. and uh, yeah. uh, Haunted Mansion and all that. Um, but, you know, maybe, maybe they need to take their pyramid and flip it on, on its head. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. But I think that the thing that is, you know, the, the challenge is they're putting out good quality product. Disney streaming is putting out yeah. good quality product. The problem is because it's a, a, a subscription, a monthly subscription si situation, people can decide, okay, I'm going to subscribe long enough to watch everything I need to watch. Then I'm going to go away for 10 months and I'll see you in a year. You know, yeah, but that's, I don't but know. Like, like I said, it, 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 yeah. Like I said, it's, it's a very, it's a very thorny subject. I, I also think too, overall, from the macro sense, essentially what we're saying is there, there's more competition now <laughs> with the content, right? And so it's, it's, it makes it just more difficult than, you know, back in the day, right? You get your cable, you had, you had a locked in system and now everyone can make content. And depending on who you are, you know, you, you are more interested in watching content from like the, the person, you know, right? Essentially. And except for the, the bid titles, but anyway, what Scott, do you think there's going to be any immediate changes in the parks? Um, I don't, I don't think, again, the, that would be like th throwing water next to the fire. I don't think that that's <laughs> going to be, I don't think that's right? really going to be. Yeah, that's, that's right. what I think. Cause I'm like, look, people are still going to the parks. The events are still selling out. Like in that, in that, like in that especially regard. Especially Mickey's like, not so scary as we heard from Mr. Yeah, Taylor. I was going to say, especially Mickey's not so scary Halloween party, right? If like Mickey's, like, I mean, not, not to be like glib about it, but like, Mickey's Christmas party. I tried to get tickets. It's sold out in Disney World. Like you know, that's a high capacity second gate event. Like I just think, like you said, when you look at them, you're like, oh, streaming's on fire and our stock price is plummeting. Meanwhile, tickets are selling out in the parks. <laughs> right, but when you, but when you look at but when you look at the the potential revenue generation, um, obviously streaming is significantly higher, so it, it creates some create some worries amongst stockholders. Um, but I, yeah. I, so you don't think I, anything's going to change in the parks because essentially they're doing fine by comparison. I, I think, I think that, you know, even in the, in the articles that, that I've just, in, that you've read and I've just kind of breezed through, 
it, they all talk about, you know, what is Iger supposed to do in two years? And that is, um, turnaround streaming and groom a successor. So neither of those things come anywhere close to the parks. Um, I think the only thing that might change that might change in the parks is I think they're going, I do think they're going to rethink the reservation system. I think they're going to rethink it. I don't know how it's going to change. I don't know if it's going to change, but I think they're going to address it because as we all, those of us who, who have multiple friends who are either, um, super fans or employees, uh, cast members, sorry, uh, of, of Disney, um, they were thrilled. And one of the first thing that came, that came out was get rid of these reservations. And I'll I know, tell you, I know, yeah. I'll tell you right now, I'm one of those people. I have not been back to a Disney park since they put reservations into play. Yeah. Yeah. Because it takes all the fun out of it for me. Yeah. I, it's so funny to, to see like everyone we know, you know, like you just said, everyone like, but, but like, I feel like everybody that we know is like, get rid of the reservations, change any plus change the prices. I'm just, I'm just not sure how much that's on anyone's radar, <laughs> you know, in terms of like, I mean, I guess it would be a relatively easy fix to change the reservations. You know, it, it like, it wouldn't take, you know, acquiring a new company. I mean, it, it's, these are relatively simple kind of policy changes, but I do think that the overall culture, that's not an easy thing to shift. Like you can't, you can't, shift the entire direction of, you know, making magic back to where it was, that's going to be they, tougher. They just did it. They just did it over the last two years. They just shifted the complete culture from show up. Uh, you can get a, you can get a front of line experience or a shorter line experience, but you don't have to set reservations. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I talked to at IAPA who said, well, we have tickets, but we can't get reservations. So we're going to lose the money on our tickets. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that happened. I talked Isn't to at least crazy? five people. Yeah. Anecdotally, yeah. I mean that's that's insane. That yeah. is insane. That is like saying and to separate them, to separate yeah. them. Yeah, this is no longer the. Remember that happened to us. us. That happened to us yeah. recently. Just yeah, yeah. It's and and it is it is crazy because you're this you're is like the most frustrating place on earth. It's clearly not the happiest. Yeah, it it is it is it is crazy, and I I just think that. Well, I I, I think for for our sake and all the people that we know sake, we're, we're you know we we are hoping that Iger will, you know, you look at that and say, you that's not sustainable, you know, in the long run. And you want to keep the parks profitable. So you you want to you want to kind of make the fans happy, right? And I do think that he is a politician. I do think he's much more of a politician than Chapin. So I do think that that's what gives me hope is I'm like, well, they know, they know how unhappy people are. And he's a politician. He's going to try, I think he's going to try and do something to make people happy. He's going to make, he's going to try to do something to make people happy in the two years that he's back. And after that two years, I would not be at all surprised if he went into, he did go into the realm of American politics, because I think mm-hmm. he's going to let two years kind of settle down. If he can go in and fix this, turn it around, make all the Disney fans happy, and then come back and say, look, I saved this American institution. Now let me save God. America. Think about it. Think about oh, it. No. I know oh, that no. sounds crazy. And I know this is, I know we're recording this. So in two years, let's play this back and see how wrong I am. 
But um, it would not surprise me. I'll just say that. It would not surprise me. Well, and what does surprise me, however, week after week, is how quickly our 30 minutes goes by. Um, we spent this entire time talking about Disney and JPEG and Iger. Because we had other stories, <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> what the heck? It was still the biggest news. It was still the biggest news. And we both obviously had very strong opinions on it. So um, hopefully you got a little bit of, of insight, information. And whether you agree with us or not, at least hopefully you're talking about it. Because that's what we do inside the industry. So uh, like I said, end of time for now. We will see you next week here on Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. Today's episode was produced and edited by me, Philip Hernandez, with post-production by David Swope. Support for this episode comes from Gantam Lighting and Controls. See what you're missing with a free demo. Sign up at gantam.com demo. We release a free weekly industry newsletter. Sign up on our website or at the link in our show notes. The Haunted Attraction Network team includes Daryl Plunkey, Emily Louise Rua, Megan Spells, Gavin Burns, and Maximus Bryant. Our partner stations include A Scott in the Dark, Scare Track, The Scare Factor, and Haunt Topic Radio. Finally, please, please, please rate and subscribe to our show wherever you're listening. And until next time, Haunters, stay scary. This is a Haunted Attraction Network production.